You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 12. It's the well-known passage in Hebrews about falling away. We have much to say about this, and that is Christ being a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 10 that precedes it. But it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust, and he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy and to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Our text for this afternoon is Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. 
God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, every Sunday my wife and I have the opportunity to drive by two casinos on our way to church. We usually only drive by one, but if we wanted to, we could drive by uh, the Langley one as well as the Cloverdale one. It always surprises us how many cars are parked on the parking lot, especially of Fraser Downs Casino. Just amazing how many people visit those places. Already at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, the place seems to be packed. My guess is that a lot of people in that casino and other casinos are hoping for a golden age. I think somehow they must be a bit tired of trying to make their money via the normal ways of working and perhaps investing. And so they decide to take a gamble. That's why it's called gambling. And they gamble their money away. They take matters into their own hands and they hope that they will strike it rich so that they can retire with ease. But I think there would be no disagreement among us this afternoon that we all know how uncertain the hopes that are offered in a casino really are. I mean, what are really the chances that you will win it big? Chances are very small. What usually happens in a casino is that people gamble their money away. They ruin their own lives and the lives of many people with whom their lives are interconnected. I mention these things because the Hebrew Christians to whom the author is writing were also tempted to place their hope or their trust in an uncertain hope. There were Jewish zealots making the rounds in those days. In the sixth decade A.D., let's say between 60 and 70 A.D., Zealots who today would be called insurgents, just like they are called by that name in Iraq. And these Jewish insurgents were placing before the Jewish people, including the Jewish Christians, the hope of a golden age. Let's liberate ourselves from the Roman yoke. God is on our side. 
The angels will help us. Let's inherit the promises of God and the promised rest so that we can enjoy the rest of God for all eternity. And this hope was all the more tempting for the Hebrew Christians because the promise of rest for the people of the Jews had not yet been completely fulfilled. If you notice the feasts that the Jews tend to celebrate, they have a feast for everything. They have a feast that celebrates the exodus from Egypt. Uh, They have a feast of Pentecost. They have a feast of Purim that celebrates their deliverance from the, uh, the edict that Haman had coerced the king to issue. But they don't have a feast that celebrates the end of the exile, the Babylonian exile. They don't have a feast. And so many Jews in those days still felt that they were in exile, even though geographically speaking they were living in Palestine. So it was very, very tempting for these Jewish Christians to throw in their lot with the insurgents. Maybe the insurgents with the revolt against Rome would finally bring about the promised end of the exile which never really had ended with the return from Babylon. In addition, the hope of the zealots was all the more tempting for the Hebrew Christians because they were becoming dull of hearing, dull of listening. There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's the way it was with many Jewish people, also the Jewish Christians. In some ways, they were spiritually sick because they had been waiting for the fulfillment of some of God's promises for such a long time that now they were becoming dull and lazy of listening. They were becoming impatient, immature, And so the question for them really is this. Maybe the hope that the insurgents are offering them is a better hope than the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is offering them regarding the inheriting of the promises of God. That's the question behind the text of this afternoon. Who has the better hope, offers the better hope, Jesus or the insurgents. And the author doesn't leave his readers in any doubt. He comes right out and he says, don't bother throwing in your lot with the Jewish insurgents. Stick to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the better hope of inheriting the promises of God. Already in chapter 1, he had said that Jesus was the better revelation of God. And in chapter 2, he had said Jesus is the better Savior of God. And in chapter 3, he had said Jesus is the better ground of faithfulness, much better than Moses 
And in chapter 4, he had said, Jesus is the better rest of God. And in chapter 5, Jesus is the better high priest of God. Jesus is better than anything or everyone. And so in our text of this afternoon, it shouldn't surprise us that also here, Jesus is better than anything or anyone else. More precisely, he is the better hope of inheriting the promises of God. Dear friends, he is saying to his listeners, if you throw in your lot with the Jewish insurgents, it's like going to a casino and gambling your life away. You have absolutely no certainty at all when you place your trust in the hope that these insurgents are offering you. Instead of inheriting the promises of God, you actually run the risk of losing the whole inheritance altogether. And that is because man's promises are changeable. There are so many variables that can hinder a human being from fulfilling a promise that he makes to someone else. All sorts of variables that are beyond his or her control. Not so the promises of God. These promises are unchangeable. There really are no variables from God's side that will change the unchanging nature of His promise. And the author of our text says, well, just look at Abraham. Look at what God did to Abraham. He made a wonderful promise to him. He said, surely I will bless you. And your offspring will be as countless as the grains of sand on the seashore. And as countless as the stars in the heavens. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then God confirmed that promise that he made to Abraham with an oath. He says, well, men usually swear by someone greater than themselves, but seeing that God is God, he had no one greater to swear by, so he swore by himself. And he basically said to Abraham, May you never trust me again if I don't live up to the promise that I made to you. And so when we look at the life of Abraham, the general picture that we get of him is that he patiently, although with some dips here and there, he very patiently waited for the fulfillment of God's promise that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed in his seed and that his seed would be as countless as the stars of the heavens. Abraham patiently placed his hope in that unchangeable promise of God. And then even when God asked him to offer up Isaac, Abraham continued to patiently place his hope in God's promise. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He didn't say to himself, 
well, there goes my chances of the promise. I'm not going to offer up Isaac. He did. He was willing to offer up Isaac because he fully believed that God was able to raise up Isaac from the dead. And so the message for the Hebrew Christians is follow the example of your father Abraham. Do the same as he did. Do not place your trust in the fickle and unchangeable hope that human beings offer you. But place your trust firmly in the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is offering you. Especially since in Jesus Christ all the promises that God had made to Abraham are in the process of being fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, Abraham's offspring is in the process of becoming as countless as the stars and as innumerable as the grains of sand on the seashore. In Jesus Christ, the great seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth are in the process of being blessed. In Jesus Christ, the beginning of God's rest, the beginning of God's new creation is breaking forth into the present. Why the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, He has already entered behind the veil into heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ has already received His inheritance. He is already there. And as such, the Lord Jesus Christ now functions as a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. So place your hope in Jesus because He is the better hope of inheriting the promises of God. And then don't act like little immature children who go to the casino. Follow Abraham's example. Remember the oath God swore to Abraham. Look to Jesus. Hang on to Jesus like you hang on to a rope that is fastened to an anchor. Especially when you are being tossed to and fro on the tumultuous waves of uncertainty. Shall I throw in my lot with the Jewish insurgents? Shall I not throw in my lot with them? What to do here? What to do there? Hang on to Jesus, that firm and unshakable anchor that is firmly anchored in the holy of holies in the heavenly sanctuary. And we should be likewise. It's so easy for us, just like the Hebrew Christians, 
to long for God to fulfill certain needs that we have. And then as we wait on God to fulfill our desires, our needs, we find that year after year, nothing happens. Our hopes remain unfulfilled. And then, just like the Jewish Christians, it is so easy for us to become dull of hearing, tired of hearing. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the longer our hope is deferred, the sicker our heart becomes. And much like the Hebrew Christians, we too can sometimes wonder whether the hope that the world has to offer us is a better hope than the hope that Jesus has to offer us. Maybe we should take matters into our own hands and fulfill our desires in a way that runs contrary to the way that God would want us to fulfill them. And so the message for us this afternoon is likewise. Hang on to Jesus. Especially when you too are being, imagine the ship, is being tossed to and fro on huge waves. And that's how you feel it is in your life. What shall I do? I'm getting tired of waiting. Jesus says to you this afternoon, hang on to me. I'm the better hope. And I'm the sure and firm anchor of your soul. If you hang on to me, you'll always be safe and secure. And you will inherit the promised blessings. If you let go of me, you're like a ship on the stormy sea that has lost the anchor. The ship goes away, sails away, drifts away, and runs the risk of being totally destroyed. That's really also what the author is alluding to or talking about in chapter 5. He says, it is possible to miss out on the inheritance altogether. It's possible to miss the jackpot that God has promised you. You see, it's possible to grow up in the church. It's possible to be a member of the covenant of grace and gamble your whole inheritance away. Because you're not really a Christian. You don't really place your trust in Jesus alone. And the Lord Jesus Christ has never really taken on form and shape in your life. It's never really been like the Apostle Paul says, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. 
And so the author says that it is possible to actually, as someone who has grown up in the church, someone who's been born into the covenant of grace, it's possible for people like that to have seen the light about who God is, their covenant God. They've seen the light about what the world is, God's temple palace. They've seen the light about who they themselves are. The image of God called to represent God in His temple palace. It's possible for covenant children to have experienced a taste of the heavenly life. Isn't it good? God loves me. I'm His child. He has forgiven me all of my sins. Why the congregation prayed this together with the minister after my baptism. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have forgiven us and our children all of our sins. And my, how good that tasted. The love of God and the forgiveness of all of my sins in Jesus Christ. It's possible as a member of the covenant to have been a partaker of the Holy Spirit to have witnessed in the congregation of the living God how the Holy Spirit enlightens the eyes of children of God. How He assures children of God of their hope that they have. How the Holy Spirit awakens new hope in people who are despondent and discouraged. Why in the fourth place... It's possible that when you grow up in the church and in the covenant of grace, that you have actually tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. In Jesus Christ, God has once and for all dealt with the problem of sin and death. And my, how good that tasted. It's even possible that when you grow up in the congregation of the living God, that you have experienced the powers of the age to come breaking forth into the life of the congregation. The powers of the future breaking forth into the present. God's promised rest, God's promised new creation breaking forth. And it's even possible that you actually longed for that promised rest. But in the end, that we're just like a Judas, that we turn our backs on all of this. Judas, who traveled with Jesus three years, he saw the light. He knew the truth about God and himself. 
Judas had experienced a taste of the heavenly life. He knew that God loved him and that in the covenant of grace his sins had been forgiven. He had tasted that and he had seen the Holy Spirit at work in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ by first hand. He had witnessed that. He had tasted the goodness of the Word of God. And Judas had witnessed the future breaking forth into the present. Jesus went around preaching, the time is fulfilled, repent and believe the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The future is breaking forth into the present. And Judas witnessed that. And you know what Judas did? He washed his hands from all of those blessings. And he turned his back on those blessings. He acted very impatiently. He was very immature. He placed his hope or his trust in the uncertain things of the world. And in doing so, he gambled the inheritance away. If that happens, beloved, the author of our scripture reading says, it's impossible to start all over again. Because when people do that, like Judas did, covenant child, an enlightened covenant child. When they do that, they are re-crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. They are holding the Lord Jesus Christ up for public contempt for the second time. They are like parched ground that produces only thistles and weeds. And you know, God doesn't harvest such parched ground with thistles and weeds. On the contrary, He curses such ground and He burns up the thistles and the weeds. And so the conclusion of that scary section that we read is inescapable. There is a degree of falling away from God that is irreversible. I repeat, there is a degree of falling away from God that is irreversible. But the good news is, only God, only God knows when a person has crossed the boundary from a time where there is still grace for repentance to the time when there is no more grace for repentance. Only God knows. And the author writes this to the Hebrew Christians, not in the first place to scare them to death, but to instill in them that desire to place their hope 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be like that, he is in essence saying to them. Don't be like gamblers who place their trust in an uncertain future. Look to Jesus, the better hope of inheriting the promises of God. Hold on to Jesus as the firm and sure, steadfast anchor of your soul. Also you, when you have these longings, that you long to be fulfilled, you're being tempted that maybe the hope that the world has to offer is a better hope than the hope that Jesus has to offer. There you go. On the waves. He says, hang on to Jesus. Because if you don't, you don't hang on to Jesus. You're just going to drift away like a little boat. And your life and your soul will run shipwreck. Hang on to Jesus. The good news is, when you hang on to Jesus, it's Jesus who is hanging on to you. That's the glorious gospel. We hang on to Him, and He hangs on to us. And nothing will ever separate us from His love. And so, hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will also mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will take on form and shape in our lives. And we won't become dull of listening. As a matter of fact, we'll be eager to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd will say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we'll be eager to surrender our lives to the leading and guiding of the Good Shepherd. We'll be like Mary, who said, Let I am your servant, let it be to me, as you have decided for me. We'll become patient when we have to wait long. And we'll produce an abundant harvest for the Lord our God. And one day, we'll enter into the fullness of the harvest. We'll win big. We'll win the jackpot reserved for those who have persevered by God's grace. Amen. You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying.